I'm going to open us up with a scripture from James 3, verse 17, and then I'll pray, and then we'll go further. Um, but here it says, James writes, he says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial wisdom this morning. So, church, let us pray for wisdom this morning. Let us pray for discernment. Let us pray for challenge from God's word and change in our hearts so that we may live according to his word and purpose. Because James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God and it will be given to you. So while this book may be difficult to understand, difficult to read, it's not impossible. And to those who have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you are able to spiritually discern those things that are spiritual. So pray for these things and let us be open uh, to God and his word this morning. And again, we won't read it every single verse so that we may be focused on the truth of this passage. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you this morning uh, praying and seeking your wisdom. God, to those who are hurt right now, I pray that you would comfort them. Uh, Let their ears hear. To those who are rejoicing, God, I pray that they would still rejoice, but God, draw near to your word and receive your word fresh this morning. God, we pray for, for wisdom, not wisdom of man. God, I pray that you would lay my words aside. Anything that comes out of my mouth that is of my own, Lord, I pray that you would erase it in the hearts of those who are here. God, I pray that we would seek only godly wisdom, which can only come from you and your word. God, I pray for discernment. I pray that your spirit would actively work inside of us to help us discern the truths of the text. God, that your word would be illuminated to us, which just jump off the pages at us this morning. God, I pray that we would be challenged. Surely we are every time we draw near to you humbly. So God, pray for a challenge. Heart, your word, God, to see live according to your will and according to your purpose that you've created us to enjoy. God, I pray for those who are missing, God, that they would still feel your presence. They would feel the fire, not of hell, but the fire of you and your presence, your everlasting presence that is with us now and with us forever. God, may we take that presence to the world and call them into a way of life, the way, Jesus Christ. Father, we love you, we praise you, we exalt the name of our Lord this morning, and we come before you. It's in his name we pray, amen, amen. Church, again, I just ask that you would just continue to pray for us as we go through this. We've got a lot of Leviticus still to cover, um, and I don't want it to become stale to us. I think it's very important. Um, I'll just, one line recap, I think one line I haven't, I don't have it written down, but again, the importance of Leviticus is that the law is, is quoted so much. Leviticus is quoted so much in the New Testament. It was just expected for the readers to know. So we must look back to Leviticus to have a better understanding of the new covenant, which we are in indeed. So point number one this morning is God's presence is eternal. So as we look at this, we're going to see this, this very truth is that God's presence is eternal, that God is always existing. He's always been, and he always will be, right? Amen, church? We've got to believe that. That's, that's a very foundational piece uh, to the Christian faith, that God is eternally existing. It's the eternality of God, right? Let's just make it more complicated, right? Let's make up this word, eternality of God, and that's his eternal six. And we see it even back here into Leviticus chapter six. 
right? And this will be our focus here for a little bit is, is on this fire. It's really where we're going to be um, all morning. Uh, so if you would, you can look at uh, verses uh, 8 through 12 with me of chapter 6. And it says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the, hearth of, on the altar all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and put his linen undergarment on his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on the other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. So as you, you focus on this, you're seeing a lot about this fire. And we heard about it through all of, all of the other offerings that uh, there was going to be this fire, and this fire would consume these offerings, right? And now we're getting into the, the, the details of what exactly is happening within these offerings. And it's going to continue. We're going to continue to expand as we go through Leviticus. We're getting a lot of theo, uh, theological points uh, here for, through the first half of Leviticus, and then it's going to get very, very practical. But even here we see uh, that which is tangible, right? You can see see that says that the fire should not go out it shall be kept burning right now this is to represent the perpetual existence of God and that he is eternal and he is never changing that would be what perpetual means there's this perpetual fire it's never changing it's never ending um, it is uninterrupted God's presence is uninterrupted there's nothing that gets in the way of, of God's presence there's nothing that's going to stop his presence. Even at the, the final breath of Jesus on this earth, he gave us the hope that our life continues on to those who are in Christ. And those who are not in Christ, it doesn't just end, but it goes to a place of eternal separation from the eternally existing God. Now, all throughout Scripture, we see that fire is a representation of God. I don't know how many of us have ever noticed this, and it, it kind of came to light. I've kind of picked up on it, but when we start to focus in on a specific word and we do a word study, we're able to, to see how um, accurate and how consistent these things are when fire specifically is representing God. You look at the burning bush in Exodus 3.6, and you have this, this wrestling here. And the bush... It says this, right? It's crazy to say. It says, he said to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses' response to this is he hid his face. It says Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And this was a burning bush, and the bush wasn't consumed, right? I've, I've lit plenty of, of, of bushes on fire, right? I got our house, and I ripped two out. They were on each corner. I'm like, man, these are hideous. There's nothing you can do. I don't want to keep up with them. You let them get a little dry. You light it. The Christmas trees, same kind of effect. You let your Christmas tree get dry. How many of you will actually water your Christmas tree through the season? Liz waters it from like October to like February to like make sure the season lasts. Like she's like all about Christmas. You have your Christmas in July tree up yet? No. All right. All right. So anyways, we don't take care of them. We light a match. We can burn them, right? Some of you throw them in, in lakes. I've seen them in lakes and stuff back home. But this bush was not consumed. It was God, and he was the burning bush. 
going before his people to lead his people. We read in Exodus 13, 21, and it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night a pillar of what? Fire, to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. We see all of these, it's just consistent. We see that God is represented by this idea of a fire, even a physical fire we see here in the scriptures, and he's leading his people in the darkest of nights so that they may be guided to where God is leading them. And we also see in Acts 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where it rested on each one of them. See, not only is this representative of God, but God himself, he, he started the fire here in, in Leviticus. We're going to read. The fire is, is, is representing God's perpetual and eternal existence that nothing can stop his existence. He has always been and he always will be. And Leviticus is all about getting God's people back into the holy presence of God. And until Christ, they could not enter into the holiest of holy places, right? The holy of holies. It was, it was for the priests to do, and they were the ones to do it. And they also had to be holy. They had to be pure. They had to follow these sacrifices. They had to produce these sacrifices for God's people, represent God's people to God, so that they could be made clean. But only the priests could enter into this place until Christ. See, church, the eternal existence of God is a place that we want to be. We want to be in the presence of the Lord. Where else would we want to be? We look around and we see in this world nothing but sadness, nothing but that which has been uh, tarnished by sin and messed up. We see death in this world, and when we look to Christ, we see what? Life. And not just life here, not life that we would hope that we would remain here, but an eternal hope of eternal life and the eternal God, that he's always existing. And church, we will eternally live in Christ Jesus. You see, God's presence is eternal. We'll get there in uh, a month. Leviticus 9.24, we'll get there in uh, a month or so. Uh, it, it talks about God starting the fire. And a lot of us, we, we miss that detail, and it, it's important, right? I was talking to someone at the coffee shop, and, and I've got him reading Leviticus. I'm like, I wish you'd just, just join us, come over to the, to the church, and we can go through it together. But we're always talking on Friday nights. He comes in, and um, he, was, he was mentioning the fire, how interesting it is. And I said, yeah, and then God like started that fire. And he's like, where's that at? And I'm like, Leviticus 9.24. It says, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar, that which they were offering to God. And it said, when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Could you imagine following all of this law, everything that you've just been commanded, right, to, to follow all of these offerings, and then to see it consumed by fire that no one else started. This fire just comes out and consumes this offering. How amazing that is, and how it was showing them that God's existence was real. And then this flame wasn't to go out, for God's existence is never to cease. I don't know if any of you all, everybody, I'm like looking around and this is kind of an open invite, I guess. If you haven't had the luxury of being around me when I start fires, right? Whether it be in um, our like solo stove, like wood burning uh, fire pit outside 
I can't start a fire there. We've got, um, I'm terrible at starting fires. We try and start fires. We have a fire starter in there because I'm not a fire with wood pellets in the back. It's supposed to be super easy to start. I even put a, a fire starter in there because I'm not a fire starter. And I put it in there and it gets the wood pellets going. And then I, I like smother it. I keep putting more and more pellets because I'm like, more and more pellets has to be good because it's just going to keep consuming it. No, then it can't breathe. There's no way for it to keep the flame going. And you know what comes of that when I can't keep a flame going is Aubrey says, what are you doing wrong, right? She gets irritated. She's like, we, we have people over here who are trying to eat pizza and you can't keep this, this flame lit. But this flame was to remain lit. See, God started this fire and they were to continue keeping it going and God was surely helping them. But this was the, the, the representation of God's eternal existence. We have to leave here this morning understanding that the presence of God is eternal. It's always been and it always will be. He will never cease and he was never created. So you have the eternal presence of God established in the midst of his people, shown to his people, but it was within the tabernacle, right? That they, they see this happen, but they couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. Church, it is important to understand God's presence is eternal. He's always existing. He does not come and go as we may like to think. And that's the application with this point, is in our life, we cannot live as though God is not with us. The world can pretend as though creation doesn't speak of a creator, but you can deny that which is true and it doesn't make it untrue. God and creator, our believers this morning, understand that the separation between God and creation was sin. So those who have found grace and have met peace, being Jesus, you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ on the cross that was poured out so that you may have life. How can we continue to sin habitually, habitually and, and not think about the sacrifice of God, not think about his existence within our life, think back to the title that God and God alone gets, Emmanuel, God with us. We carry that with us each and every day, and as we do that, it changes our hearts. Point number two, God's presence changes our hearts, for he is within us. He's living within his people, and his presence, that's something that should happen when we understand that his uh, presence is eternally existing. We understand that he's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. He's not just within um, you if you're a believer. He's also within me. He's dwelling inside of me eternally existing and it should change our hearts the presence of God specifically for his people and this is huge specifically for his people we go out and we talk to the world they don't understand anything we're saying because it's spiritually discerned if they have not God they have no understanding but to those whose eyes have been opened his people a march should be changed upon the people of Israel. But now in the new covenant, he's dwelling in you, living inside of you, making your body a living temple. Your heart should be changed. Our disposition should be shifted. It should shift. That our view of sin, our view of holiness, our view of, of the creation, our view of those who are created in the Imago Dei should be changed. It should shift. Colossians 1.27 says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. Church, if, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we don't have eternal life. So if we don't have the presence of God with us here now inside of you, even when you leave this building, then you're not a believer. Now don't fret. Maybe this is your first introduction to the Holy Spirit, and you're like, I gave my life to Christ a long time ago. Let me tell you something. There's some good news. That Christ is now in you, for he poured out his Spirit on the day of Pentecost so that you may have that seal for the day of redemption and may have the Holy Spirit of God guiding and directing you in this life as fallen and as broken as it may be. There's a hope that is within you, and it's a mystery to the world. The Holy Spirit is in you. This should, church, if it has happened, it should change your heart and your view on sin, on sacrifice and sanctification. Hey, that doesn't mean things are so important for us, that our view of sin is, is growing each and every day. That doesn't mean that our hatred for people who sin is growing each and every day. But that means that the way we view sin is, is not good. We don't like sin. We have a, a high view of sin and that it is bad. It is the very thing that separated and broke down all of humanity. And sacrifice, that we would be sacrificial as Christ was sacrificial and dying for us while we were still sinners. And sanctification, that we're being made more and more like Christ each and every day. Let me break those three down. Sin. Look at Leviticus 7, verses 19 through 21. It says, Flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten, it shall be burned up with fire. All who are clean may eat flesh, but the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice on the Lord's, of the Lord's peace offerings, while an uncleanness is on him, that person shall be cut off from his people. And if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether human uncleanness or an unclean beast or any unclean detestable creature, and then eats some flesh from the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, that person shall be cut off from his people." See, it's not just about sin. Because you could eat it if you were clean. I think back to the garden. Adam and Eve were allowed to do That's it. They could look at it. They could touch it. They could eat of, of the tree of life. They had uh, uh, an abundance. An abundance. They could eat this. If they were clean. But it is also about sin. You see, church, there's a seriousness to sin that should be considered each and every day when we wake up. For God hates it. That sounds harsh, I know. I know some of us struggle with those things, saying that God hates something, but he does. Church, it is the very thing that separates us from God is sin. Why would we want to partake in it? Why would we want to partake in the one thing that has separated all of humanity from God, has, has made all of humanity a need for Christ to come and to die? The eternally existing Son of God, Jesus, God in the flesh, had to come in the form of man, humbling himself, so that he may die and we may live if we have faith in him. Why would we continue to do the very thing that Christ died for? died because of. There's a seriousness here. There's a weight. And it says that those who eat while unclean 
shall be cut off from the people. You even see this, this type of reminder in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 32. When we do communion here, and this, which is the reason, so right after giving instructions on um, communion of the Lord's table, right, the Lord's Supper, Paul says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And thus, church, sin ought to be taken seriously. I mean, praise be to God that we haven't experienced this here, right? I mean, I can tell you that there's been times in my life where I've taken communion in an unworthy manner, and then I read this, I'm like, praise you for your grace and mercy. Church, this could happen again. There's no reason, there's no principle in the Bible that says that this has ended. If we continue to, to go about sinning and we, we take God um, as, as some little fairy, there's no reason to, to see that we wouldn't be like the church in Corinth and we start dying and becoming ill when we have taken communion We've eaten of the bread and drank of the cup in an unworthy manner. That's why we take it seriously. For sin has separated humanity from God. So then God established a sacrificial system to restore that original relationship. See, God gave clean, right? But for all of the sacrificial system to work, for it to actually, actually um, take place and have its effect then the hearts of the people needed to be changed. The hearts of the people needed to be focused on God, focused on the coming of the Messiah. Their heart had to be right. Church, our heart has to be right. We have a disposition now of sacrifice. So we talked about sin, the seriousness of sin. It's, it's changing our heart, right? And it's changing our heart in, in a way that we've become more sacrificial, See, these offerings, all of them except for the burnt offerings, went to provide for the priests in some way, shape, or form. So as our hearts are changed, our sacrifice uh, comes along with it. We are more sacrificial. We're less selfish. We ought to be. Some of you are like, man, I feel like I'm struggling with that. I'm with you. But how are we being made more and more like Christ each and every day? For he sacrificed for us. How are we sacrificing for others so that his sacrifice may be displayed? How are we showing the world that Christ sacrificed his life by our sacrifice for others? And we see that here. We see even through the, the offerings and how they provided for the priests that this was true sacrifice. Leviticus 6.26, the priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten in the court of the tent of meeting. Leviticus 7.8, and the priest who offers any man's burnt offering shall have for himself the skin. And from it he shall offer one loaf for and from it, uh, in Leviticus 7, 14, and from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings. See, the priest's sole job was to mediate between man and God, to make these sacrifices constantly on behalf of the people. And these offerings provided for the priest. 
you are like, man, what are you going to get into, Pastor? You're going to talk about offerings and tithes and how that is supposed to give to you? No, but I'm saying it, it goes back, and this was their job. They, didn't, they weren't bivocational priests. They stayed in there constantly. You see, grain offerings were every day. People every day were bringing grain offerings. These other offerings were kind of sporadic. Some of them had a, a rhythm, but grain offerings were each and every day. And you know what's crazy is we read about all these offerings and it's already becoming stale to us. This wasn't even their tithe. Some of us were, man, we're talking about sacrifice. Yeah, I can be more sacrificial. Let's talk about real sacrifice, right? I'm looking in the mirror, thinking to myself, like, man, how am I going to give this much this week? I've, I've prayed in my heart, and I really feel like God's want me to do that. I can do that, but I'm not going to give my time. We talk about this all the time. You, you give a check, that's easy, but you don't give your time. Where's the sacrifice? You give all your time, but you never give of your resources. Where's the sacrifice? This wasn't even their tithe. The Israelites gave away 30%. There were three tithes, 30% of all that they had. And they all I heard someone make a joke there. And that was before, like, the IRS came in and started taking, you know, state and federal and FICA, Medicare, all that stuff. So it's a little bit different. I, I don't know. I know that uh, Paul makes it pretty clear that he says, God loves a cheerful giver. Pray that amount in your heart and give cheerfully, right? But we're focused here on sacrifice. And we hear that 30%, three tithes. I'll be honest with you all. My heart says, whoa, ain't no way. One thing we should do this morning is check our hearts. For if we look at the sacrifice of Christ, church, we should also be sacrificial. We should be giving in a way that we understand what the Israelites understood then is that as we give faithfully, sacrificially, obediently, faithfully, that God, church, is going to provide to our needs. Now hear that. God will provide to your needs. Understand your needs are not your wants. God's going to make sure that through our church family you have food on your table that you have a way to get from point A to point B, that you have a family that's going to make sure that you get up on your feet and you don't just, just sit around and receive and receive and receive, but you get up and you go and you glorify God through your work ethic and your, your heart and your actions. We have to check our heart. Now think about, has there ever been a time in your life where someone went above and beyond to serve you? And your response, at least in the moment, right, kind of maybe felt like a, a revival, was... I want to go above and beyond for them. I want to return that favor. I want to return that which they did for me. And though we can never, we are called, obligated to pay back that which Christ paid for us. We are called by Paul to present our bodies, our lives as a living sacrifice. And the only way that we can do that is if we look at the sacrifice of Christ and consider that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Now that's sacrifice. The Bible makes clear it's easy to love the one that's loving you, but it's hard to love the one that is hating you. And you see that in friendships. You see that in marriages. You see that even with your children. If you don't believe me, go work in, in Minnie's class. Those children, there's going to be times where they like grit their teeth at you, and like all the volunteers, they walk out like, hey, it was awesome, right? And it's like, no, I know Like if you had ever in there, it was crazy, right? Like our youngest, it can be wild. And I see that in, in my marriage is that it's so easy when, when Aubrey is, is being so sacrificial to me, I can be sacrificial back. But church, we, we presented God with nothing. We were dead in our trespasses. But while we were still sinners, Christ died. And then you have sanctification. See, God's eternal presence is changing our hearts 
in a way that we are being conformed into the likeness of God so that God's presence may change our hands. Point number three. See, we talk about sanctification being made more and more like Christ each and every day. And the only way that we're going to be sanctified is by his word, which Jesus says in John 17, 17. And our, his pre- the way that we worship every day in our life should be changing our hands. Our motives, yes, the heart. The way that we worship, the, the purpose in which we worship should be changed. And that should be displayed through our hands. You see, changed hearts are displayed through active and obedient hands. Active obedience is key here. Uh, Leviticus 7.36 says this, The Lord commanded this to be given them by the people of Israel from the day that he anointed them. And then it says this, It is a perpetual due throughout their generations. Perpetual. It means uninterrupted. Continual. There's no end in sight except for Christ, the one that their hearts were set on. This was going to continue generation after generation, sacrifice after sacrifice, so that the people of God may be able to draw near to God. See, this is worship. It's not obligatory action. It's not something that they just felt obligated to do because it was something they needed to check off. And you're starting to see the recurring themes here in in Leviticus is that we're not checking off boxes, but we're drawing near to God as he's drawn near to us. To those who have been saved, you now have the holy and eternal presence of God inside of you, the Holy Spirit, who also is associated with fire. And fire not only representing God, but the Spirit now living inside finds things, representing this refining process. See, fire refines things, right? It makes it pure. And the Holy Spirit's job now within you is to convict you and convince you of sin and of judgment so that we may be more like Christ, not just theologically, church, but practically in the way that we love and we serve those in our lives. We do not simply do things to do them but we do them out of an act of praise. When you serve your neighbor, are you doing it for credit or are you doing it so that Christ may receive the glory? Now it's easy because if you're doing it in, in hopes of being able to get like a IOU from your neighbor, then that's not for the glory of God. Now if your neighbor gives you an IOU and they help you, then guess what? I look at that as more glory to God because he's opened up a relationship with you and your neighbor so that you all can serve one another in a Christ-like way. And if they're not a believer, you may be able to have those conversations and lead them. But God's presence, church, has to change our hands. Those who are believers must produce fruit. It's just natural, right? If we're believers, then we're going to be more Christ-like. I've compared it to your families, and as much as we all love to say we're not like our moms and dads, we are like our moms and dads. And we'll fight it until the day we die, but we become more and more like them. I felt terrible um, this past week. We were out to eat uh, the day before uh, my uncle's funeral, cousins and friends, whatever. And I was like, all right, Aubrey, let's go. We already ate. I think they're going to be here a while. And my mom called me back, and I looked back, and my um, uncle, his uh, wife, now widowed, was crying. And I was like, oh, man, mom's calling me over. i got to go pray or you know, give her some comfort. I'm like, God, give me the words. And I get over there. She's like, your legs just remind me of your uncle's. And I was like, oh, 
like, I thought it was like something crazy. I was like, well, these bad boys, I was like, you should see my feet. They always said I had my uncle's feet. And I took my sock off. She's like, those don't remind me of your uncle. And I was like, ah, man, like my legs did, right? What I'm getting at is, is we have a bloodline, right? And we begin to look like and act like those who raised us. But those who are in Christ, remember, maybe you're a new believer, you're a baby. Grow into maturity. Grow so that you don't just receive knowledge, but you receive godly wisdom from the eternal presence of God that is now within you, that your life and your actions may be changed. So that the world may see the love of Christ in you and through you. That they don't just hear it about how great this God is, but they see how great this God is and how he's using a filthy sinner like me, once a wretch, saved by grace, to display his power. You see, they did it back then through all of these sacrifices by looking forward. Now we do it looking back. Everything is centered around Christ. Consider Hebrews 10, 1 through 4, and then Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. It says this, For since the law has a, but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Church, that's why we don't do sacrifices. Because Jesus was the final sacrifice. So if you're wondering, why don't we still do these? If it said there in Leviticus that it was perpetual, it's a perpetual due throughout their generations, it was sealed, it was uh, fulfilled by our Lord and Savior. And it says, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It was about the heart. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ, church, our only priest, had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. See, we look at this and we're just we're so grateful. We don't have to do this, right? But rather, use your life to display the law of God and the life in Christ. For the law exposes our sin and our need for the one who came to bring us life. And take that life that you've been given and share it with others. That's what you were called to do today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Yeah, you're going to have seasons, but when we look at the eternal existence of God, then we'll be drawn closer to him and be empowered to go and to make known the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. So how are we doing that this week? How are we looking at this law and realizing that it's been fulfilled and we've been given uh, a great honor and privilege to go and to exalt the name of Jesus in word and in deed. Ben, you can come back up. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the, the priesthood of believers. We're going to get into the more priestly duties and, and whatnot. But the one cool thing, church, is you don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to find me to confess your sins to be made right with God. 
For we believe in the priesthood of all believers. Peter makes that very clear. That you now are priestly and called to go to the world. That you can take this life that you've been given, you can take the existence of God because the existence of God is now dwelling inside of you and you can go and speak that which is from God to his creation. You can proclaim, you can preach, right? He's right, he's like, I thought we were in a Baptist church. Who's allowed to preach around here? This, we believe, is, is, is uh, an office pastor called for qualified men according to Scripture, but men and women alike go preach and proclaim the good news to all of creation as God has commanded all of us to do. Amen. Go take the eternal existence of God to the world, for you are the salt of the world. You are to go and to share of this good news. Praise be to God that we are no longer separated, but even now, church, even though we don't see him, he is here. You don't have to call two Christian friends to make sure he's there for where two or three are gathered. No, he's dwelling inside of you. Dwelling inside of you. And he wants you each and every morning to talk with him, commune with him, hear from him, read his word, do all of those things. Check in on your brothers and sisters and go and make his presence known for it is eternal. Church, you can go ahead and stand up. To those of you who are believers, remember that truth this morning, that he's with you. Don't live as though he's not. We can fool one another. We can hide things from one another, but God sees it all. And if you are, have been adopted by the blood of Jesus already, then live like it. Live as one who has been empowered and been given the power to overcome sin and to proclaim his goodness. And let me proclaim this to you who maybe doesn't believe, you're unsure. Repent of your sins. It's simple. And trust in Christ as you're saved. What it means to, to you will have follow Christ, count that cost. But praise be to God that He's come into our mess so that we can be in His existence forever and ever by faith in Christ. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, I pray continually that we would seek out godly wisdom. Lord, that we wouldn't seek our own understanding in any of your word. God, in whatever blogs we read, books we read, whatever we read, Lord, I pray that we would make sure that it is rooted and the foundation of the gospel. God, I pray that we would understand that your existence is perpetual, it's never ending, and neither should our worship. Our worship should be uninterrupted. Our worship should never cease as you never cease. God, you deserve the praise. You don't just deserve the praise here on this day, your day, the Lord's day, but we need to begin to understand that every day is yours for all of it is yours and all praise is due to you. May we live like that talk like that, breathe like that, enjoy because of that. May we enjoy this creation knowing that you have made it for us, for our good and for your glory. May we get out this week and go and make your presence known to others, not just the wrath and the judgment that is to come, but the life that has already began to those who believe in you. Praise be to you, God. Will you use us? Let us be of your service. God bless the offering this morning. Bless it and use it. Multiply it for our good and for your glory. God, and use us as we go out this week to our workplace, play place, wherever we go. Praise you. And all God's people said, amen.